And now, back to Answers for Elders as we honor our military veterans. Carriage is the proud sponsor of our veteran segment, hosted by former Seattle Seahawk Dennis Boyd. This is Dennis Boyd at Patriots Landing in DuPont, Washington, and we're here at the Patriots Landing Retirement Community, and we're talking to Gordon. And Gordon, correct me if I'm how to pronounce your last name, Schultz. Schultzli? Schultheis. There we go. I'm sorry. It's a famous beer in Berlin, Germany. Ah, very good. Well, we're here today to talk to Gordon and uh, talk about he had spent 39 years, 38 years, excuse me, in, in the Army. How did you go from, uh, is it Bountiful, Utah, into the military? During the Korean War, uh, I was in the National Guard there. Mm-hmm. And I was working for the Air Force, and his airman had a new car, and I couldn't afford one. So I volunteered to go to uh, on active duty and ended up in Korea with an old car. <laughs> so it didn't fix the problem, did it? <laughs> no, it did not. I didn't realize that those airmen still owed a lot of money on the cars that they had. <laughs> But it, it looked good, though, right? Well, uh, you could always uh, fool the neighbors. <laughs> so where did you do your basic? I uh, was at Fort Ord, California, is where I went through there. Okay. And did you, and you came out, and then from there, where were you stationed? I went to the 1st Armored Division in Fort Hood, Texas, and was... Uh, a platoon sergeant there for a while. And when they uh, moved the uh, 3rd Corps from Fort MacArthur, California there, and it reactivated the uh, uh, 4th Armored Division, they split the 1st Armored Division up. And uh, about that time, I got orders to go to Korea. So away I went. Korea was probably one of the first engagements that was never officially a war. By no. I mean, it was a war by those, the men and women that were on the ground, but uh, I think it was a... Politically. Con- politically a conflict or a disagreement between... As a... Uh, I was a combat engineer, and well, when I first got there, they told me uh, that... I w- they were happy that I arrived because I wore their stripes over there. The guy that if was uh, in the unit with me, if I could get you busted, I would get he would get my stripes. That was a hell of a rec- uh, welcome to get into a unit. <laughs> uh, that was the only time shortly after that that I was ever knew that someone was shooting at me. We were working the roads, and I got a, uh, I knew a shot had been fired at me. I jumped in the ditch, and I crawled until I got ashamed of myself and got <laughs> out, and uh, it never bothered me after that. In 30-something years on, in active duty, I never fired my rifle once. Is there never right? once. So I guess that's a, you could say I was a peaceful warrior. <laughs> well, it's something that I know uh, in, in talking to other people that it it does affect you when you have to take a life like that. So, oh, yeah. Yeah. no doubt. 
Um, I would, I had people in my unit that died. Mm-hmm. Uh, my last tour in Vietnam, my uh, battalion commander was killed, shot down. Uh, I was supposed to have been on the helicopter with him that day, but uh, they kicked me off because they wanted to take along a lieutenant to be uh, the liaison officer the next our headquarters. And I'd hit my thumb with a hammer that morning. I didn't want to be on the helicopter anyway. <laughs> For ten minutes after they took off, they were all dead. Oh, that's sad. I'm, it was a lucky day for me that uh, I got bounced off of the trip. It was a good time to be an enlisted man, then, right? Well, the command sergeant major is a. Oh, I'm sorry. It's supposed to be with the commander at all times, and he's the only enlisted man in the unit that answers directly to the commander. So, ah, okay. That's uh, it's something that. The old soldiers from World War II would not recommend, uh, re- recognize that part of, a, of the sergeant, sergeant major. But, uh, in recent years, that's the command sergeant major deals directly with the commander of an organization from battalion to, well, sergeant major of the Army. It's the mm-hmm. same, same uh, job. And your role as a sergeant major is to... Be the advisor to the commander, and represent the soldiers of a unit. So you're down. You're in with the the uh, basically the the guys on the ground, and you're kind of giving them feedback as well, to. You, hopefully, you you got the uh, confidence of the fellow non commissioned officers in an organization, and you uh, are able to get a sense of a feel of the unit. Their morale, what things are bothering them, how they, how the, how things are going with the unit, so that you can talk to the commander about uh, problems that may exist or possibly could could exist. So mm-hmm. that you, <clears throat> if you uh, you and your commander are uh, close, then it works real well. If you. If he doesn't trust you or you don't trust him, it's not going to work out that well. Yeah. Well, it just, uh, you you almost, you need to have that position there in order to be able to understand what you can and can't do. And It changes every time you have a different commander. Yeah. Uh, I was a battalion sergeant major of uh, five different battalions before I was elevated. And every time I had a, uh, a commander or a change of command, things were different. Commander has, he wants to run the outfit his way. He's commanding it. And as a, his sergeant major, you sometimes run it for him. Mm-hmm. Who, was your be- who do you think in your mind was the best commander that you served under? I... Or did you have or if just I guess it was a lieutenant general uh, Bill Richardson, who mm-hmm. was the commanding general of the combined arms center at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was so smart uh, that he it was scary to talk to him. He talked to you today and then six months later he would uh, could recall the conversation in in great detail. 
what he said and what you said to answer him. Hmm. It, uh, it was amazing. He ended up with a four-star and commanded the training and doctrine command of the Army. Wow. So he was a great guy. So what attributes is, I mean, uh, you're in a unique position to see these uh, men in leadership as a commander and see how some of their, uh, their actions affect the, uh, the people on the ground. And so is there, are there any unique features or common uh, characteristics that you saw that would, you know, made a, a great commander? I don't think that <clears throat> uh, a commander of a military unit is all that much different than being a coach of a football team or a baseball team. He's, he's got to uh, instill or, or uh, gain the confidence of the people that he's, that he's supervising or commanding. And uh, if they trust him and trust his judgment, uh, he'll be a good commander. Yeah. And he's got to be concerned about them, but, uh, and be able to inspire them to accomplish the mission that you've been given. Mm-hmm. And so. most of them that I've dealt with, with one or two exceptions, had those qualities. Yeah. Well, that says a lot about the Army as far as they're bringing up, well, you know, quality people. They... The Army has improved a great deal from uh, the days when I first came, was around where the senior non-commissioned officers, in many cases, couldn't read or write properly mm-hmm. uh, with very little education. And now we have a Sergeant Majors Academy down at Fort Bliss, Texas, that teaches uh, senior non-commissioned officers all the things that they should know and many of them already do know, uh, in order to fulfill the position that they that they that the army is entrusting them with. Gordon, when you look back, and we tell people or ask people, as you look back, and for the generation or two that may look back and see, hey, there's my great great grandfather. What would you want them to know about you and your military service? <sighs> Uh, that I was a, a good trainer, that I inspired uh, and trained my fellow soldiers and my subordinates to take the position that I held. Uh, I've trained my replacement many times. That, and I, my grand, great-grandfather was a, uh, correction, I, my grandfather, my mother's father, was uh, came from Germany as a. Uh, my mother always said he came to the United States to study music, but that wasn't true because he uh, you went from Germ- here to Germany to study music. <laughs> I think he came here to because his uh, his father remarried after his mother passed away, and he needed to have, or she his new, uh, his father's new wife, needed some room around the place, so we get rid of him, send him to the America. And he ended up uh, retiring from the United States Cavalry wow. uh, 20 years later. Amazing. You had quite a lineage then. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. 
Gordon, again, thank you for your time and your 38 years of service to this country. We appreciate them both. Gordon, I want to thank you very much for your time. It's been a pleasure to get a chance to yeah. sit and talk and, and hear some of the history of this country that you helped make. Yeah. This has been a special honoring veterans presentation of Answers for Elders brought to you by Carriage. For more information about Carriage, the website is C-A-R-E-A-G-E dot com. Hey everybody, Jared Sebesti, your host of Retire Repurposed. This podcast is dedicated to help people transition into fulfilling and purposeful retirements. Retirement is a big life change. In fact, the two most dangerous years of a person's life are the year they were born and the year they retire. Few people could just flip the switch from working a career 30 or 40 plus years retiring on Friday without methodical steps to living what we call a repurposed retirement. To listen now, search Retire Repurposed on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.